brought to you by Fruitnet Media. This is Fruitbox. Welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. My aim is that these 15-minute conversations, which we now broadcast once a week every Wednesday, give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. It's now six months since I started Fruitbox, and like many of you, I've also taken a short summer break to put my feet up and to think back on all of those crazy things that have happened over the last six months and to prepare for perhaps the many other crazier things that may happen in the next six months. It was six summers ago, at around this time in 2014, that the business was confronted by one of the biggest challenges to face it in recent years. I'm talking, of course, of the Russia ban, President Putin's decision to ban the imports of fresh fruits and vegetables from Europe, from the US, and from many other parts of the world in a tit-for-tat response to their sanctions over Russia's incursion into Ukraine. It had a huge impact around the world, and in Russia too, of course. Joining me on Fruitbox today to talk about the Russia ban six years on, I'm delighted to be joined by Ksenia Gorovaya, who runs Crisp Consulting in St. Petersburg. Ksenia, welcome to Fruitbox. Good day, everyone. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you. Ksenia, let's go back six years to that summer of 2014. You were running a successful consultancy business based in St. Petersburg, advising suppliers to Russia from the US and Europe and other parts of the world. And then almost overnight, the business stops. Tell us what happened. Well, let me start with more detail on what happened in August 2014. As you said, President Putin signed a decree that banned all imports of fruits and vegetables into Russia from European Union, United States, Australia, Norway, and Canada. Mm. What was also banned was meat, fish, dairy, and some other products. So the influence was very strong on the Russian retail market. Uh, I wanted also to mention that actually the preparations of vegetables and fruits were not banned. So some of the European suppliers continue to um, ship uh, olives, for example, and fresh juices and processed vegetables to the market, and that remains. But there was a big chunk of products that were blocked from the market. So, and it, so it, almost entirely fresh products that were blocked yes, from the market. They yeah. mainly targeted fresh mm. um, products, fresh commodities. And the decree, what was uh, strong about the decree, that the decree came in effect on the day of its signage, And yes, our business, the crisp consultant business was affected and it was basically stopped overnight Mm. because back then we worked with Washington apples and USA pears and that clearly was the product um, blocked from the market. But at least we didn't have containers on water, Mm. unlike many of the importers, many of the Russian importers. What they experienced was, was a big shock and they lost loads of euros and uh, they had to redirect their containers so that was a mess and actually small players didn't recover and large ones uh, really experienced uh, troubles uh, which still persist Mm. 
Yeah, so that's that's the brief uh, outlook on what what was going on back then. Um, and and you as a business, I mean, what what did you then do for Crisp Consulting? How did you change? Because it literally happened overnight. Yeah, well, uh, during the first months, we kind of continued uh, hoping that it will be lifted. Um, and that lasted, yeah, for a couple of months. But then, um, well, we changed the geography. We changed the clientele. Mm. So now we not only work in Russia, but also work in Eastern Europe, meaning mm-hmm. former Soviet Union countries and some other countries. We also start working with other products like uh, fish and beers and spirits, etc. Mm-hmm. So we were flexible. We still miss our clients and hope that someday we will be back. But who knows? Well, let's hope so too. Now, what was the direct impact on on shoppers in in Russia? I'm, I remember when together you and I we toured some supermarkets in in St. Petersburg a few years earlier. And I remember being um, kind of so surprised to see the shelves were all fully stocked with a wide range of of fresh produce from all over the world. And the reason I was shocked is because this was in the dead of winter. I remember we were together there in in December uh, and and December really was a December in St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, based on experts, share of domestically produced foodstuffs increased from 20% in 2014 to 40% in 2018. Mm. So basically, imper-substitution happened. Mm. Russia remains an important a global importer. It's like number five in terms of volume importer of tomatoes, number five importer of cucumbers, number four for the stone fruit. So it still imports uh, quite a lot, but uh, crops that can be grown locally are gaining more share on retail shelves. Mm. For example, sufficiency in potato tr- uh, production is uh, close to ninety-five percent. Uh, and and if you look at those those categories uh, where you are growing a lot in in Russia, and where you are substituting imports, we're talking about what vegetables? You said tomatoes, apples, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, well, it's um, uh, due to the uh, you know like seven point five percent of Russian land is arable. Mm. So it's not quite a lot. But if you actually look uh, at, the, at the number of the hectares, that's uh, like two uh, Netherlands or Netherlands plus Belgium mm. uh, together. Yeah, so uh, due to the climate, it's mainly root vegetables like potatoes and um, carrots mm. and beets and, and, and apples and mm. sour cherries mm. and some berries like strawberries. Mm. Yeah, these are the commodities. And, and um, we've seen uh, a huge level of investment go into um, into the sector in Russia in the last number of years as Russia wants to become more self-sufficient in some of these products that you talked about. Um, and that's been in, in largely, has it not, in infrastructure. And in certain categories, it's been very interesting. For example, the tomato sector has had a, a huge level of investment go in. Tell, tell us what's what's happened and why it's happened in this way. Well, yeah, so you, under, so you understand the scale. Uh, Russia's self-sufficiency in commercial tomato sector expanded from 25% self-sufficiency to 50. Mm-hmm. And within the past five years, uh, as statistics, official statistics shows, about 1,000 hectares of greenhouses were uh, launched. Mm-hmm. 
both by the uh, governmental investments and the private investments. And Ksenia, these are these are where located around uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, or is it further south in Krasnodar, uh, near the Black Sea? Yeah, it's it's more uh, to the south because of the climate, but also mm. next to the residential areas like okay. Moscow and yeah. Moscow region. Not so much in St. Petersburg, but in St. Petersburg as well. Uh, in in the Russian Far East, we've seen some Japanese investments uh, in greenhouses, and they produce the uh, tomatoes and cucumbers there as well. So it's a mix. They target. Um, areas close to Moscow, but to the south of Moscow. Mm. But but it also exists across the country. Yeah. Now, I interrupted you. You were telling us about the, the self-sufficiency story in, in Russia. How's it, how's it affected the tomato sector in particular? So the self-sufficiency for tomatoes increased, for other vegetables also. Uh, but it's not just greenhouses. It's also the massive development of storing facilities. This means that uh, root vegetables are stored for longer periods of times, which shortens windows of, of opportunity for international suppliers, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So it's a really massive shift. As we can say, uh, well, Russia is the biggest mass, uh, biggest country by the land mass. Yes. And you would expect it to be to export uh, produce rather than import, but for decades it was opposite, and there was no natural evolution from export to import. Mm. But there was that crisis that uh, encouraged local farmers and, uh, in particularly, uh, Russian government to uh, change that. So we see the results already. We'll see how it goes further. Um, and, and another int interesting trend, I think, and we've seen this in Russia, or we've seen this in other parts of the world, and we're seeing it in Russia too, is that, that retailers have started to invest in, in their own greenhouses. What, what's happening? Uh, yeah, th that's a good point. Um, thank you for the question. Um, an interesting fact is that Tundra, uh, that's the largest uh, Russian retailer, Magnet, uh, actually is the pioneer uh, in the greenhouse development, they are located, their headquarters are located in Krasnodar in the Russian South, and they aim to produce up to one third of their tomato assortment in their own greenhouse facilities. So that's an example of how rapidly it's going. And they uh, have about, oh, I may be wrong, but they have around 30 distribution centers around Russia so they can not just uh, supply their tomatoes, distribute their tomatoes to their uh, uh, south region uh, outlets, but also across the country. That's mm. a big force. Now, um, while Russia has reduced its dependence on, on Western Europe and, and, and other countries that you mentioned at the top of the show, um, it's also started buying um, more from its former republics, as you, as you mentioned also especially those in Central Asia, such as Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan, of course. Now, you see their produce on your shelves nowadays. You sent me again some photographs just recently of the market in, uh, in St. Petersburg with some incredible looking produce from those countries. Um, you know these countries pretty well, don't you? You're doing quite a lot of work there now. 
Well, yeah, I was lucky enough to travel to Uzbekistan and Tajikistan last year, which was a great uh, excitement for me because you only read about them in the books. Mm. And uh, thanks to my job, I had to travel there across the production areas. Yeah, you're absolutely true. Um, first of all, Azerbaijan, they have become over these five years, the number one tomato supplier to Russia. They even overpassed uh, Turks. Uh, Azerbaijani diaspora is still very strong uh, in the Russian produce sector. There are lots of importers of this um, origin. And when this crisis happened, when the Russian food happened, they actually started, some of them started to invest in uh, tomato and apple production in, in Azerbaijan. And they started to, um, so to import their own pr production uh, produced in Azerbaijan by, the, by their uh, companies there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an interesting trend. Uh, another strong player is Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan in 2006, 16 got a new president uh, after 26 years they got a new president and mm. so they um, uh, saw reforms in agriculture and international trade policies that immediately had an effect on trade with Russia we started to receive more tomatoes more cabbages more stone fruit more melons from uh, Uzbekistan and it's it's growing uh, I think that I was checking the statistics the other day. Uzbekistan doubled its supplies of vegetables to Russia over years. That's mm. that's very impressive. And and uh, it, Uzbekistan is a is quite a big a big supplier of other of temperate fruits as well. So stone fruits and and grapes yeah. and so on. Yeah. Um, what what is happening in those countries? There's huge amount of development going on, isn't there? Well, yeah, as I said, that they started to uh, to be more proactive uh, on their uh, international arena. They are uh, trying uh, to get uh, permissions to export to China. Mm -hmm. They are uh, investigating the European markets. They have very cheap labor costs, as you can imagine. They have very fertile lands and, uh, I don't know, 365 days of sunshine. Mm -hmm. So they can actually harvest several crops uh within the year vegetable crops so that's what we're seeing more produce coming to russia and to other countries and that whole area in central asia is also uh kind of liberalizing it's becoming uh, a huge uh, economic union of its own isn't it well i would not say that all of them are liberalizing uh uzbekistan at least is uh i'm not so sure about other states but uh what it, on the geopolitical arena what is important to mention is the eurasian economic union that's the union well it's similar to the european union so it's the union that contributes to trade uh between its members and the members are russia who was the initiator of that belarus mm -hmm. kazakhstan kyrgyzstan and armenia so once that uh, union came into force, uh, that stimulated free movement of goods uh, on this big um, piece of land. Mm. And uh, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan uh, export their produce via Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, paying less uh, custom duties and um, facing more uh, trade liberalization, you know? So mm. that's another, strong point in favor of um, that trade 
Yeah, and and Iran, of course, I mean, just briefly, is a, is another very important uh, supplier these days, and it's also supplying the Russian market too. Well, yeah, you probably saw some statistics. Iran actually is uh, getting, is biting from the Israel share. So when this uh, European, uh, on, when this Russian food uh, ban happened on the, uh, against the European suppliers, we thought that the, the beneficiaries would be, say, Israel, uh, Latin America, um, some African countries, but actually uh, such countries as Iran uh, became more active and uh, they're cheaper than Israel. They can grow similar uh, assortment that is similar to Israel at a more affordable price. So yeah, they uh, have been very successful with cucumbers uh, capsicums on the Russian market over years. So you 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 see with all these uh, examples how evolving the industry is right now. Many yeah. new players. Uh, let, let's go back to to Russia, to your homeland, and and um, you, you mentioned uh, how Russia remains a very very important market globally uh, for some key lines, apples and pears, and 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 other products that have also been affected by the ban. Where is the consumption of these products nowadays? Are, are Russians eating their five a day? Well, what I, what I can say about that is that um, consumption of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables is uh, correlated with the purchasing power of the consumer. Uh, when the Russian food ban happened, uh, it didn't happen out of the blue. There were sanctions against Russia prior to that. And those sanctions did affect the Russian economy, unfortunately. And then there were some turbulences on the fuel, international fuel market that also affected the Russian economy in the negative way. So over these five years that we're discussing, six years, Russian ruble uh, exchange rate devaluated 50%. Mm. So you can imagine that salaries went down, that the imported produce became pricey to the consumers. And what we see is that fruit and vegetable consumption is still quite high. It's not, it cannot be compared to the Soviet times when we were basically eating potatoes. It's still quite high if we compare it to our previous um, periods. But there is a change in the portfolio of, in the assortment of produce that is consumed by people. For example, they eat less grapes, they eat less stone fruit, but they prefer more affordable, cheaper uh, citrus and bananas, mm -hmm. local apples, or a produce from Central Asia, actually, because Central Asia doesn't trade in rubles. They trade in, oh, doesn't trade in, Euro, in euros or dollars. They trade in rubles. That's another strong point that they offer. Mm. So we see that the consumption, consumption is still on the level, probably decreased, but not 50%. And, 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 and not this thing on the Apple market. I mean, you know, for a long time, or from nowhere, uh, Russia went from being nowhere to being, I think, the world's biggest uh, market yes. for imported apples. Where, where are we now? Yeah, Russia imported more, close to 1.5 million tons of apples per annum mm. from all around the globe, even from the United States. It's it's long way from New Zealand as well. Uh, but between uh, uh, between 2013 and 19, 
the import went down by by half by 800,000 metric tons. Wow. Again, within those six years, the imports went down 800,000 metric tons. Yeah. Local apples substituted part of that. And again, there were investments in the seedlings. There were investments in storages and grading and sorting. Uh, still, it's less than the, the, than the total market uh, of apples prior to the crisis. And, and what are the apples that you're growing these days in Russia like? Are they uh, the varieties that you would find elsewhere in the world or are they kind of more special local varieties? So it's a mix. They're using a European uh, stocks. They're using a Russian uh, varieties as well. So it's a mix. Actually, Russian consumer is quite um, patriotic about the apple varieties. For example, my mother and her girlfriends prefer Russian breeds because that's a taste of childhood, you know. So that would be sour varieties like Simirianka. It's the probably a brother of Granny Smith. Yeah. Uh, and some striped varieties, you know. Yeah. Well, I think I think this patriotism for for one's own uh, apples is true around the world. It's not just in Russia, of course, that yes, uh, people right. feel kind of something for the for the varieties that are grown locally. Now, now, where do things go for you uh, next, Ksenia? There's no chance, it seems, of this ban being lifted. Is there, or, I mean, it's been in place six years and it'll be in place for another six or 16 or 60 years, perhaps? Well, it's hard to say because the ban came in effect very unexpectedly. When the news came out, we, we couldn't believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. So potentially it can be lifted as fast as, as quickly uh, implemented. Yeah. But it's unlikely because the political situation remains uh, stable. Mm. We uh, stand where we are and the European Union and the United States and other countries stand with their uh, opinion over yes. the situation. So it's unlikely. Plus, after all those million and billion investment in uh, investments in uh, local agriculture, it's logical to protect their um, farmers mm-hmm. and give them some time to grow up and mm-hmm. uh, stand uh, still with their results. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, shop, and shoppers locally haven't been kind of up in arms about this, have no, they? No, we They've haven't seen. So when that happened, we expected that consumers will be worried about the rising prices because the inflation was quite strong. Mm. Uh, on some categories, mm. it was up 30%. Like, for example, on salmon, on, on uh, farmed uh, Norwegian or um, European salmon, it was 30%. On some fruit commodities as well. But over time, uh, substituting countries were found, alternative suppliers were found, and it seems that there are no um, social um, movements towards lifting that ban. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, as you said, there's been considerable investment in, in local agriculture. Yes. Yeah. What what we've seen in the meantime, of course, is that there's been uh, a lot of supplies of infrastructure into into Russia, uh, and that that's going to continue, I imagine, for some time. Yeah, uh, if we want to finish our conversation on a positive note, the positive news is for the suppliers of equipment for storages and logistics centers, the suppliers of seedlings and seeds, because they are, and actually agroeconomists and uh, technicians, because 
it's it's a great market for them out there in Russia over these years, uh, and it it will continue because there 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 is more land to the east, and the development of modern retail is developing further further east. So there is a lot to do, and uh, yeah, Russia is eleven time zones. I think about three is covered. Now we need to pass <laughs> seven more. You know, <laughs> eight more. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, that, that's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. That was really fascinating. I was joined down the line from St. Petersburg by Ksenia Gorovaya, the Managing Director of Chris Consulting. Ksenia, it's really good to talk to you again. Thanks so much for coming on the programme. Thank you. Now, you can find today's conversation with Ksenia and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. It's good to be back after the summer break, and I've got more great guests coming on the show in the coming weeks. If you've got some ideas of what you'd like me to talk about on Fruitbox, or even if you'd like to feature in a future episode, then do drop me a line to my email address, chris at fruitnet.com. Fruitbox is now on all the podcast platforms and getting loads of listens every week. We've even had our first sponsored episodes too. So if there's any more information about how to get your name onto Fruitbox, then do get in touch with me. That was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. To sponsor a future episode, please email advertising at fruitnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fruitnet Live. And don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com.